Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Vera. Marler, today, I don't know how much debating we're going to be doing. This is yeah. technically a debate podcast, but we're doing rankings. So I assume that anything rankings related, based on yeah. the feedback we've already gotten and the feedback that we always get, <laughs> is going to warrant some sort of debate. You're so an today, idiot. Y O U R. Yes. Yep. Yes. You're right. You're right, Randy. Randy wow, you are Chattanooga. Yeah. I'm sorry. You. We hate your team, and that's the only reason we rank them this way. I want. Before we get started, Connor, I do want to say, I know that you know you especially, but we both put in a lot of work into researching this, and I, and I want you to know that that work when it wasn't looking up numbers, it wasn't looking up returning starters or coaching or any of those things, making projections based off of anything involving um, smart or educated guesses. It's strictly because we don't like your football team, and I, and, exactly. I, and I hope everyone yep. understands that. Like, because it's you know, listen, these are uncertain times. I want you to be certain in the fact that that's why these rankings are the way they are, is because we hate your football team. If you're in double digits, <laughs> just assume I'm not going to watch your football team this year Ever. because yeah. of how much I hate them. Never and heard just, of her, bro. Yeah, never. Yeah, no desire whatsoever to consume that. We're talking defenses today. And after last week's quarterbacks conversation, I thought that'd be a fitting turn to take. And because, well, the, the column is already out on SDS. If yeah. you aren't someone who likes to listen to a rankings podcast and for whatever reason you like to read that stuff instead of listen to it, or if you forget rankings, whatever, it yeah. is up on SDS. You can go find it there. If we have a season, people are going to care about this, right? Yeah, that we're going to have a season. So just put that out in the universe, please. Yes. If we say it enough times, it yes. will happen. Yeah. Um, here's the good news, and I know I'm going to sell you on this, and maybe I'm going to sell some people that are listening to this on this premise as well. I don't have any parameters today. What? So, so that's good. Wicky, wicky, uh, wow, wow, West. I wish I didn't do that. I, didn't I, like that. I wish you didn't do that too. I'm very <laughs> uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable. Damn it. I want to do mostly the teams that I have ranked from eight down to one today in terms of SEC defense power rankings. Now, I, I say that because I think eight through one, or one through eight, however you want to say it in the SEC, is really, really good. I mean, I think all of them, and I, I said this in the column too, yeah. all of those defenses I expect to be top 30 defenses or competing close to that level. Right. Now, a lot of people got super, super mad at my rankings. <laughs> One fan base specifically got very, very fired they up. They think we hate them later. for real. And I don't, like, listen, if you're an Ole Miss fan, we got a bad, we got a bad review from an Ole Miss fan. It said, do more research over a 2014 football game that already happened. <laughs> like, like, that is, if you're an Ole Miss fan, we, we literally chose one of our, our first bucket list trip to the Grove yeah. in Oxford. Yep. And, and and we love John Rice Plumley, love the colors. I Ole Miss, I, growing up, Bama, Georgia Tech, Ole Miss. I always liked Ole Miss for some reason. I don't know why. We don't hate Ole Miss, but I will tell you right now, the way things are, it's also, I, I hate to say this, but like, stop getting so mad online about people hating your school and just realize that sometimes it's just that y'all aren't back to where you're supposed to be yet and, and they're not. We're, I barely think about Ole Miss, man. I, I, I think about John Rice Plumley and that hair all the time. I, I see the shark Tony when I go to sleep. <laughs> and I will never unsee it. Yeah, you're yep. right. I just, like, you know, it's not really just even Ole Miss fans. It's like, let's just stop being so angry all the time. Anyway. Yeah, Ole Miss was not the, the fan base that I was specifically oh. citing. 
They, but they quoted I, you on Instagram and tagged tagged uh, that's fine. you and us on, on a post. That's fine. I don't care. Um, Ole Miss fans probably aren't going to be too happy with these rankings. I can yeah. justify them. Um, so I say that because, because I think there is such a high degree of talent in the SEC this year. I really don't think the gap between the defense that I have ranked number three versus yeah. the the defense that I have ranked number seven is that significant. Yeah. It's really not. It could only end up being like maybe 15 to 20 spots overall yeah. nationally, which that's a couple points a game. That's really not that much. That's not that much. No. So let's quickly run through the 14 to nine first, because we're not going to spend as much time on these defenses. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Let's start with that old Misty. The team that I have at number 14, and I have them there despite the fact that they were very improved last year under Mike McIntyre, who was no longer there. Now yep. he's making like 400 grand at Memphis, and that blows me away because that's an incredible value for a program that really needs yeah. a good defensive coordinator. I have major concerns about Chris Partridge and DJ Durkin. Durkin, for all of the reasons that I've said from an off-the-field standpoint, I'm not going to go like down him. that road again. Yeah, going to go not not going to go there, but. We're talking about someone who didn't even have a top 80 run defense at Maryland. Last defense that he had at Maryland was number 120 in the country in scoring. I tend to think that if you're a good defensive coordinator, you never have a defense that's that bad. Yeah. Chris Partridge, one of the better recruiters in the sport. Very meteoric rise, but a first-time defensive coordinator. He was a high school coach at Paramus Catholic six years ago. That is the school where Rashawn Gary and yeah. Jabril Peppers both went, and oh, he ends he up at the college ranks. It's crazy. Or, yeah, and he ends up going to Michigan where both of those guys went. Yeah, 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 crazy. But that's why I have Ole Miss at number 14. I think that the inevitable step back is is going to is going to be the story of that defense this year. Mm-hmm. 2016 to 2018, it was really, really rough defensively for that program. So, yes, Oof, bottom of the barrel. 2018 is, was... But so oh. I will say that... I disagree with you having them last, but and we'll talk about that in a okay. second with who you have at 13. Okay. Um, so I have Vandy at 13, <laughs> and Vandy was very bad, very bad last year. Oh, and if, if you recall, Derek Mason fired his buddy, Jason Tarver, the guy who he let live in his house. Remember that? Remember that story a couple years ago? Rent-free, so, huh? Yeah, yeah, about that. Here's the thing, though, about Vandy, why they're not 14. This is probably the biggest reason why they're not 14. Yeah, that's a good set. They rank number four in FBS in percentage of returning production on the defensive side of the ball. Whenever I reference that stat, as I always say, that is what Bill Connolly does every single year. He was formerly uh, SB Nation. Now he is, he is at ESPN. Vandy, not expected to be that good defensively this year. Even though they return a lot of pieces on that side of the ball, it's hard to imagine them taking some massive leap forward. Is that fair? Yeah, no, that's that's very fair. I just um, they were already so awful. They were so so awful, and I think at least Ole Miss has guys, you know. And you get Sonogo back. I I, I think that it would be, I would be very hard pressed. This is this is semantics, and it really doesn't matter to be honest. It's thirteen versus fourteen, but yeah. you know I'll go to bat for Ole Miss on this one because I just it, there's just no way I have Vandy ranked ahead of uh, like anything anyone in anything at this point going into the season until they prove me wrong. Fair. 12, I have Mississippi State. And I realized that Zach Arnett, who was defensive coordinator at San Diego State last yeah. year, was actually the defensive coordinator for the number two defense in the country. People forget that. Yeah. Spent about 11 days at Syracuse before Mike Leach poached him, brought him over. People forget that. 
Uh, but this is his first time without Rocky Long, longtime San Diego State head coach, very respected in this business. It's also another troubling thing with Mississippi State because you would look at Zach Garnett's background and say, okay, young, promising defensive coordinator, just just had a number two defense in the country. That's good. Errol Thompson's back. That's good. Number 113th in the country in percentage of returning defensive production. Not great. And here's no. the other thing. Do people realize that Mississippi State has had seven defensive players drafted the last two years? I don't know if people lot. realize that Mississippi State's had seven players drafted in their in their program history. I, I think, like, and I, I say that like tongue in cheek because they had three players drafted in the first round two yeah. years ago. Like that's a from from a defense that was ranked number one in the country. They lost a lot of production off that, and it's great they got Thompson back. But I mean, man, like losing a guy like Willie Willie Gay, it's like that that's gonna be that's gonna be tough to replace, especially with how athletic he was. Brian, Brian Cole as well, somebody mm-hmm. who's very important. Cam Dantzler on the outside. We talked about him Cam a lot Dancer. last year. He's been starting there since the late 80s, yes. Like, he Seriously. was very, very good. It's like 6'5". He gets, he like gets an inch yeah. every every single week yeah. added to him. <laughs> uh, Mike Leach also, and this is something that we're going to talk about more this year in the SEC mm-hmm. than we have in years past. How a defense performs alongside an air raid offense. Mike Leach has had one defense he had one defense at Washington State that ranked in the top one-third of the country. That was actually 2018 with Gardner Minshew. That team was his best team. Actually had his best finish ever as a head coach yeah. in 18 years as a Power 5 head coach. Leach's defense is at Texas Tech. Not, not very good. Not very good. And, you know, we'll see how that goes at Mississippi State. But that is part of the risk of playing this style of offense where you throw, you throw, you throw. The three and outs can happen. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, hey, our defense is, is pretty gassed. Time of possession not valued in the same way right. that we've seen in the past. So something to keep in mind with Mississippi State. I have Arkansas at number 11. And this is a big, big credit to Barry Odom. I think Barry Odom's a really good defensive mind. We've talked about this premise before about certain coaches who are better suited to be assistants than they are head coach. I admitted that with Joe Moorhead. I said he kind of has that personality a little bit more so than I originally thought. I was wrong about that. Barry Odom, I think, is one of those guys as well, where especially if you look at his track record as a defensive coordinator, even the last time he was a defensive coordinator at Mizzou back in 2015, and when he made a name for himself as a defensive coordinator at Memphis, this is someone who I think is going to have a similar impact at Arkansas, like Mike McIntyre at Ole Miss. Okay. That's the that's the, the take I'm going to die by this offseason, just because I think guys are going to be put in much better position to make plays. The defense that struggled so much under John the Don Chavis the yeah. last two years that Arkansas fans were so frustrated by should not be nearly as bad. I think that Barry Odom's system is going to give guys the ability to make plays in space. I think they're going to be able to practice tackling more. Who knows, actually, if that's going to be able to happen with all this going on. Bumper pool, maybe going to be a little bit like Nick Bolton was to Mizzou. (laughs) All-time SEC name bumper pool is. But I do think that Barry Odom is a really, really solid defensive mind. And I think that we lose track of that even in a year like last year where, yeah, they collapsed. Mizzou had the number 16 defense in the country last year. Yeah. I mean, which is, that was like that. an every year thing, I felt like, with, with, with Mizzou. Like, he was, he's a very good coach. Very good coach. Had a couple, had a couple of those tough years mm-hmm. defensively, but I, I thought he made up for I, it, and I thought he improved his defenses in, in both places that he was. Yeah. And I tell you what, if anyone, if anyone's sitting here and saying, like, well, 
you know, that his defense, like his defense didn't perform that well when he was a head coach or whatever. I, I don't I don't know what the argument would be against against Barry Odom. It's a step up in facilities. It's a step up to be able to recruit at, at Arkansas over Mizzou. He's going to have way more to work with at Arkansas than he did at Mizzou. And there's, that's saying a lot because those defenses at Mizzou were very, very good, albeit very underrated. Yeah, and that's not to say that Kale Garrett or Nick Bolton is simply yeah. the product of Barry Odom's defense, but neither of those guys were top 1,000 recruits. That's stupid. And Kale Garrett was an All-American until he went down in the middle of last season, and then yeah. Bolton stepping in in Odom's defense. Yeah, there's there's a lot to like there, and there's a lot of reason to think that Arkansas is going to be in position to probably improve against the run more than any SEC team is because Kale. they obviously struggled against the run a lot last year. I forgot who it was, but I did a, I did a tweet about this or something like that during the season last year, but it was a premier running back that was coming back. It was like a name that everyone in the SEC would know. But Kale Garrett had more touchdowns last year at one point, like a third of the way through the season, than he did because he had like two or three, uh, like in the so month. Larry Roundtree? No, it wasn't Larry Roundtree because it wasn't on it wasn't on Mizzou. But never forget Larry Roundtree is still there. Larry Roundtree is still there. Tyler Brady there as well. Yeah. And Eli Drinkwitz's offense. Um, so that leads me to Mizzou, who I have at number ten. Where you're talking about a, a group that was, like I said, number sixteen in the country last year, but you lose Barry Odom. And all of a sudden, those questions are are at least worth asking. The good news for Mizzou is you kept your defensive coordinator, Ryan Walters. And then, as I said, Nick Bolton is back. He is one of the top returning linebackers, not just in the SEC, but in all of college football. He is so important for what so they do good. from a coverage standpoint, for what he's able to do tackling in space and blowing up run plays in the backfield. Very, very good, underrated linebacker. But at the same time, you kind of wonder, all right, how is this Mizzou defense going to look now that it's truly in the hands of Ryan Walters? And are they going to be able to overcome some of those key losses? Also lost Jordan Elliott up front was mm-hmm. so good against the run. Uh, one of the, you know, I think he was what second round pick he was in the NFL draft. Sure. And was in the first round consideration as well. Yeah. So, um, and then at nine, South Carolina, Coach Boom. I think they're going to have a really, really good secondary. JC yeah. Horn. Israel Mukuamu, as Georgia yeah. fans know all too well. Um, those That's the, the foundation. The building blocks, of course, are in the front seven. It's Zach Pickens, it's Jordan Birch. The big question surrounding South Carolina and this defense is can those two five-star guys step up and make key contributions for this defense? Pickens, we saw last year in a somewhat rotational role, was still backing up Javon Kinlaw. Jordan Birch, of course, not having an entire offseason. Wasn't going to have an entire offseason as an early enrollee anyway because he was getting to campus over mm-hmm. the summer. But with this weird offseason, can those two guys make that next step and become a force in this front seven and be a thing for Will Muschamp? Seems like a pretty good time to do it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think they're going to be... At first, when I saw this, I was like, I really want to put them higher than nine. Um, I know. I did, too. Because just from a talent standpoint, I mean, Zach Pickens, that defensive line should be really good. And that secondary is going to be one of the best in the SEC. Hands, like, like not even close. It's just hands down. Um, I, but, like, it is, I don't want to say it's top heavy, but it's, like, it's hard it's to navigate loaded. through that it's top eight. Loaded. I, mm-hmm. I would say, from a talent perspective, I I think they'll be better than a and I, I, I don't mm. think they'll be as well coached. Uh as Tennessee, uh, but yeah, uh, outside of that, um, I don't know how how much higher you could rank them. And like now, here's here's a here's a thing too, just like a barometer from where, where we're at right now. 
I said this the other day, and and I got I caught hell for it, but like, do you tell about that that Auburn defense from last year? Because I've seen people that have had Auburn in at top three in the country. They will be a top three defense in the country this year, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me because of how much people or how many people they lost. And mm-hmm. when you look at the numbers from last year, they were only ranked in the top five, I think, in two statistical categories, and. That's, you know, that's not great, but I think they were ranked sixth or, or seventh, like maybe overall in, in total defense or scoring defense from last year. Um, hold on, I have it in front of me. They were but 17th like, overall in scoring defense in FBS. Right. So, and that's so, and in, in the SEC alone, they were sixth, right? right. So, it's, it's easy to look at that and then say, like, well, you know, they weren't that great. Um, when really, like, like, you know, the SEC is just loaded on defense. So, you could, exactly. you could not be a top half of, like, yep. you know, in the SEC. And still be in the top twenty, as you saw last year, with in the country. So that is one thing that cannot be stressed enough as yeah. we look at defensive rankings. And I think it's it's different even than than doing offensive power rankings. There are really really good mm-hmm. defenses in the SEC, and just because we we put them in the middle of the pack here does not mean we think they will be middle of the pack nationally. I mm-hmm. can't emphasize that enough because. I, I tried to put that in the lead of the column and still got called out for it. Yeah. I, I am not saying that AM is going to be mediocre. I'm not saying that Tennessee is going to be mediocre. I, I even think South Carolina should be a, a top 50 unit at least, yeah. I would think, with that production coming back, despite the fact that they just lost their best defensive player since Jadavian Clowney. All right? Like, yeah, that's true. And they still, should be, they still should be good. They have skill at every single yeah. level of that defense. All right. Before we get to the top eight, I don't want to talk Marler. about Marler. Uh, you are just the you jinx of Connor. The jinx of Connor continues. My weekend with Bet Online, it, it ended up being fine. It ended up being fine. I had to switch up things. I had to, You're I had to kind of, you know, yeah. So, um, guys, as I tell you each and every week, make sure you're set up with betonline.ag today. Uh, we were had the opening baseball weekend. Might have been the whole season. Might have been the whole damn season this past. No, these past don't days. say that. Uh, from what happened, you know what? I will jinx it for you, guys. You jinxed everything for me with my gambling. So if you don't know what we're talking about, I I was very vocal last week about how um, maybe I should walk back my walking back of the Braves winning over 34 and a half games. The Braves look pretty good. Now, one thing I did say that I was definitely going to do was that I was going to bet on zero runs scored in the first inning. First game of the night or the of the year, there was a bomb hit by Giancarlo Stanton that might not have landed yet. Uh, I'd made that Giancarlo? bet again. Is that that's not his name? Giancarlo. That's all right. Giancarlo. Yeah. I don't understand why you you're Irish. You don't under, why do you know so much about Italian names? It's Italian. Not during the ad read, Connor. Not during the My ad bad. read. Um, anyway, so <laughs> I switched up. Uh, I switched up my my betting uh, mistakes. What I'll just call it now. Where instead of betting on no run scored in the first inning, I switched to when the Braves were playing the Mets, especially the Braves would score first. The away team scores first. Did wonders for my bank account, and you can have wonders done to your bank account as well uh, this week and every week with betonline.ag. So get over there today. I'm not going to make any bets with you in the future because I already I already owe you two Chick Fil A meals. You do. And I feel like I'm digging myself quite the hole. If I get anywhere beyond that, it starts to get dicey. We're, yeah. we're, we're going to have to start doing some IOUs. That's not That's fair. Work. That's fair. All right. Number eight. I got A&M at eight. And I battled with this a lot. Yeah. I had A&M as high as five and then ended up with them at eight. And 
This is really, ranking AM at eight was what made me realize how many good units there are in the yeah. SEC this year. I truly believe that. AM, I think, could have a top 30 defense. I think they've got one of the best defensive minds in the sport with Mike Elko. There is a reason that he is making north of $2 million per year. Question about Mike Elko, though. Is this his last year in College Station? I don't know. Is could it? Be. You tell me. It sounds like you already have an answer. Uh, I. I'm just wondering about the window with AM, given the favorable schedule that's ahead, given all the experience that they have returning on that side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Might this be an opportunity to try and cash in? They pay him well, don't get me wrong. That's but true. if those opportunities, if he gets his Baylor opportunity, a la Dave Aranda last year, mm-hmm. I'm just saying, it's inevitable. Still a guy in his early 40s as well. They had the number two run defense in 2018, and then they improved by three points per game last year. They lost Justin Matabike, but they do return a lot of production. Anthony Hines, Buddy Johnson, both back at linebacker. Bobby Brown, not the same Whitney Houston, Bobby Brown. Yeah, um, I hope not. He was, yeah, that'd be really weird if he's still at eligibility. Um, he was voted the best SEC defensive lineman by the SIDs in the conference, right. which is saying a lot. Um, it, somebody who didn't necessarily stuff the stat sheet. Pro football focus very high on Bobby Brown. Notice that. Yeah. But also have a lot of pieces Bobby back Brown in the Bobby Brown was really high. But not on Bobby Brown. Ah, he was just really high. Mm, yeah, there it is. Ha ha! I tell you what, I if you were born after or before '88, that's you're gonna like that joke. Yep, yep. I was born after '88, and I, <laughs> I still like that joke. <laughs> Here's the thing about AM though, and the reason that I I ended up going a little bit lower on them as opposed to putting them in the top five, top six. They allowed 33.2 points per division game last year. That's just wow. the division. That's not just, oh, I'm going to just pick the three best teams in, yeah. in the conference, which for some of these teams, as we get a little bit more critical, I think is fair to do. But that's just against the division. So that needs to improve. That needs I mean, to improve. So, and here's the good news. Here's the good news. If you're an a fan and you just heard that stat and you're clutching your pearls and whatever cowboy boots you're wearing for whatever reason right now, um, Joe Burrow's gone. Two is gone. That's, Yep. Those are, those are things that are positive for you. What's not positive is that we also saw that defense get torched from Auburn from jump last year. Settled in nicely, made some yeah, nice adjustments, true. but yeah. yeah. That's, that's the thing that they – you bring up a good point because I always bring up the stat about a The 300 minutes of football they played against teams that finished in the yeah. top 15 of the AP poll last year and the fact that they led for just 7 minutes and 42 seconds of that time. That's ridiculous. A reason why that happened – they would get smacked in the face early in these games, and they'd be playing from behind so much. Even when they had really good defensive games, like against Clemson. We look yep. back on that game, and we're like, dang. I mean, you look at Clemson's 29-game winning streak. They've had five games where they allowed less than, I think, 29 points, and two of them were against AM. Right. So this is an AM team that I think has the, the ability to stay with these teams at the line mm-hmm. of scrimmage. But it's avoiding getting smacked in the mouth right in the way. Because yeah. when AM does that, it can't play with the same sort of balance nope. that it needs to be able to in Jimbo Fisher's offense. So that's that's the thing that's got to turn around. It can't just be about making those mid-game adjustments. They've got to be able to make that from the jump, not have the Anthony Schwartz-like plays. And yeah, be able that's to, the, and that's the one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but AM, like I said, still think will be one of the nation's better defenses, could finish in the top one-fourth of the country. All right, let's get to the one that's a little bit more controversial and why. At least among the fan base. Yeah. Tennessee fans let me hear it for putting the balls at number seven. No! Tennessee we, fans. I love them. You know what? I love them. I love them. I, I love the hate, 
whatever. If they're going to be critical, that's totally fine. Yeah, I disagreed with their criticisms, but that's that's fine. They were number six in the SEC last year in scoring defense. Jeremy Pruitt losing three members of his defensive staff, I think is at least a question. I don't think that's necessarily going to be a thing that stands in their way of having a good defense. I think they'll have a really good defense. But it's one of those things that you have to wonder about. And with somebody who's entering year three as a head coach, who's never quite dealt with a situation like this, this is at least new for him. When we talk about ranking coaches, there's a reason that we're a little bit reluctant to rank some of these people. Like if we're ranking coaches nationally, like we have questions about whether or not Ryan Day is a top five coach in the country. Because when you haven't had to deal with things like this, like staff turnover, the good coaches get through this. There are yeah. programs like Ohio State and Alabama that deal with this all the time, hey. and and it doesn't phase them. But Pruitt still does, has to show this. Or it does, and you get crucified for it. And I said this exactly. last year. I said this last year with Georgia, and I stand by it, and I'll say it this year with Tennessee, we'll just move the argument to another fan base that's just as rabid, just as passionate, has just as much talent and just as much potential and, and, and excitement around the program, I think. As, well, maybe not as much excitement as, as Georgia might, but regardless – Georgia fans were, I said this last year, and I kind of said it out of spite, admittedly, but people were so ready and still are so ready to see Bama, that the dynasty be over with. And I totally understand why, because it's obnoxious. You have to hear people like me and people on Twitter talk about it all the time. I, I, I get it. At the same time, that whole thing where it's like, yeah, well, you know what? Like, because I remember last year, going into the national championship game and, and people talking about how, well, you know, Saban's making excuses, this and that. And, and I was like, you know, it's hard. It's hard to go win a, a championship when you have, you know, a, 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 a offensive coordinator leaving, a defensive coordinator leaving, you know, this person leaving, this person, like all these different people that are, that it's a, a seemingly like a revolving door. It's hard to, to, to replace that and, and keep some sort of continuity and keep like, you know, the players up and up and all that kind of stuff year in, year out. And I remember saying this last year, I was like, now Kirby Smart, you get to do that because Mel Tucker's gone and whoever the, the offensive coordinator was. And we'll see how that turnover Dream. is for y'all. Yeah, for y'all when you have somebody like, you know, uh, what's the guy's name last year that was so awful um, that came in? Who's the, who's the offensive coordinator last year? Are you talking, oh, you're talking about, um, for, well, you're talking about for Georgia. Yes. Um, who just went to A and M? Tight ends coach, awful. Um, like, like I'm, I'm glad I've put this out of my mind. But yes. anyway, you know what I'm talking about. So, but I said last year, I was like, now you guys can have fun with that with the how, because when you're building a top match program, those are the things you have to deal with year in year out, and people don't often, I think, understand that that how big of a factor that is. Um, and so now I think, yeah, looking at Tennessee. It's so much fun at the beginning of this like rise that you're on as a program when you have a new coach and you're getting these recruiting classes and that's all that's all great, but now we get to see like how well-rounded of a coach Jeremy Pruitt is by dealing with some adversity like this in the off season. James Coley was who we were trying. To James, God, he was so. I'm sorry. It's you know what I'm not I, sorry for, for forgetting his name, Georgia fans. You're welcome. Same initials as Jim Chaney too. Of yeah, of course. It, yeah, that's, it gets confusing. God dang it, Coley. It's not just the staff turnover with Tennessee that I have mm-hmm. at least some questions about a team that needs to find a replacement for Daryl Taylor. Now, the good news is yeah. that Jeremy Pruitt has recruited very, very well very the last well. couple of years. They should be able to find edge rushers. But when we're talking about someone who has meant a lot to that program the last two years, that's a question at least worth asking. And in terms of Percentage of returning production, number 50 in the country. Nothing spectacular, different than what they've dealt with the last couple years Mm -hmm. in terms of that side of the ball. But I I think also the thing to remember with Tennessee, 
is that the finish was great. Don't get me wrong. Really, really impressive. I love the adjustments that Jeremy Pruitt made and the fact that so many guys bought into a system when we were questioning that for the first month. Mm -hmm. It looked like guys didn't even care about tackling. And that was a big issue. And then all of a sudden, you saw a more disciplined team, a team that was gap sound, all those different things. 33 points per game against the likes of Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. And yes, Tennessee fans, I took out the defensive touchdowns for that number. That's still... (laughs) A lot, and you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I I believe in the future at Tennessee. Yeah, I, I truly too. do. I I think that they have a lot of questions at quarterback. That situation is murky at best. And yes, I I believe the offensive line should be significantly improved. Love yep. Eric Ray on the offensive side of the ball, but I still think that to do this year in year out, we need to see it. Jeremy Pruitt's track record as a defensive coordinator is awesome. It is really right. really good. But dealing with changes like this, these are the questions that are at least worth We asking. are, yeah. The good news. They've got our boy Hank coming back. Henry To'o To'o. So disappointed that he went to Tennessee now. He's, he's going to be a stud. Already is. He already, you know, already is. You know I have a lot of appreciation for anybody with an apostrophe oh, in their last name, much less two. Yeah. One of the SEC's best linebackers already. Already. How many teams... Here's what I was thinking about, and I don't I didn't have an example that came to mind, but you might. How many teams can have a winning record in SEC play, look up at the end of the season, and have a true freshman lead him in tackles? I don't know, it's probably happened before. I, I don't think that, that that doesn't seem like it happens very often. Usually if, no, if a true yeah. freshman is leading the team in tackles, it's because you've had a lot of issues. You have a lot of youth on well, that Tennessee's defense. Tennessee's had a lot of issues, Connor. They right, but mean, they were still good, is my point. Yeah, and that it wasn't no, I, like I it was something Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I think I think this Tennessee defense will be much more improved. Than I, and I tell you what, this is in the same way. And I, I know I got up on the soapbox about how like you get to replace all that and how have fun with all that and all that kind of stuff. Georgia was able to do it last year. Kirby Smart is coaching that defense. Like I mean, Kirby Smart is the one in charge of that defense. In the same way yeah. people say it with Saban, Jeremy Pruitt is going to be in charge of that Tennessee defense. And that Tennessee defense was light night and day, night and day from where they were at the beginning of the season, where they were at the end of the season. All I all I say to Tennessee fans, and, I, and I'm not saying this to, to, I listen, just just come down for a fireside chat real quick with Tennessee fans, okay? Just like I want you to hear hear me say this. Not every time something is said that's maybe negative about your school is it a personal attack on you as a person. You guys are great people, I'm sure, I'm sure, but. Just because there are concerns does not mean we think your team sucks, that you suck, or whatever. My concern for Tennessee is, I understand the recruiting rankings are great. Things are going really well right now in the program. We're still less than 10 months removed from wondering if Jeremy Pruitt was going to keep his job to the end of his second season. We're still less than 10 months removed from that collapse against BYU and losing Georgia State. I love the way they finished the season. It's awesome, especially in the bowl game. No offense to you, but like... The way they came back to oh, Indiana, all that kind that. of stuff. But like, let's just—I don't want you to get ahead of your skis, and then and because we've been here before. Butch Jones started out with a top ten season, a top ten team in 2016. Let's just not—I don't want to see you get hurt again. Okay, I don't want to see you, Michael Scott, yourself. I want to see Tennessee put it together for an entire season defensively. Let's see that. That's what the top ten, top fifteen yeah. defenses in the country are are doing. That's that's what they are capable of. Tennessee. Finished really, really well, but obviously there were those struggles in the first half of the year. Number six, LSU, defending national champions. 
that might seem like a little bit, you know, like, oh, that's that's it for LSU, number six in the country. They have the best defensive player coming back in America, high. Derek Stingley. Um, Bo Pelini is considered the big question mark, replacing Dave Aranda. And LSU fans have been wondering if he's going to be a culture fit, if the 4-3 is going to work, making that transition. I don't necessarily think that's going to be as big of an issue. I think no. that they'll still be they'll they'll still be fine. I I tend to wonder about what the middle of the defense is going to look like, despite the fact that they added Jabril Cox from North Dakota State, a very highly regarded grad transfer, somebody yeah. who's expected to do some big things with them. I think the defensive line should be really good as well, with Tyler Shelvin coming back, Neil, Neil Farrell as well. Oh, by the way, Tyler Shelvin, got to keep his weight down, apparently, according to Coach O, who had those okay. very interesting comments last week about his fluctuating weight and trying to get down to like 340 or something the number was bro i don't know. i mean i remember one of the things my coach said to me and in, in when our captain justin mills said to me when i was in college he said your weight fluctuates more than oprah's so i hear Yo. you tyler i hear you bro Yo. it's tough it's tough out Which, here in the streets tough out here in the eats connor you're not trying to weight shame anyone or anything but yeah. that's an interesting thing to say about somebody who's <laughs> widely being considered a, a first team yeah. all sec type guy another interesting thing that i noticed from coach o. it's his birthday it is his birthday as we're recording this. Good point. Yeah. He is how old today? <laughs> ten, 10 short years away from the magical number of 69. Oof, what a day that'll be. <laughs> Coach O said after hiring Bo Pelini, he said that LSU will be much better defensively. Made it a point to come out and say yeah. that. I get the feeling that he wasn't always thrilled with Dave Aranda. And Man. I say this because... Not just the simple contract dynamics, which I think were awkward, and I think a lot of people yeah. would have handled that so much worse. And we've talked about that a lot. The fact that he was making such a a close amount yeah. of money compared to what Coach O was making during their time at LSU. But obviously he was someone who was thought of as this guy that they absolutely had to keep on board when Coach O came on and all those mm -hmm. things. It's easy to forget. And while I do think Dave Aranda is one of the best defensive minds in the business, his defense got worse every single year he was there. It was still one of the top, in the top fourth of the country, though, every single year that yeah. he was there. But it got worse every single year. And I think that Coach O grew a little bit frustrated that people held him in such high regard repeatedly when, I don't want to say that his defense is disappointed, but there were disappointing moments of it last year. And we nitpicked them, of course, because they were competing for a national championship. Mm -hmm. But Coach O saying that he expects the defense to be much better shows me that it's not just, oh, we're, we're expecting him to hold the standard that Dave Aranda did. Yeah. He thinks that they can actually improve, which they had, I believe, the number 32 defense in the country last year. I think that's a telling thing for a head coach to say. Correct me I'm if not I'm wrong. I, so I'm not going to get – no, I think it's telling, but it's also one of those things where, as I've learned, I think a lot over the years now is that, man, there's a narrative in everything. Like, there's just a narrative in everything, with, and I don't want y'all to get all Alex Jones conspiracy theory and put on your tinfoil hats right now. Oh, boy. But what I'm saying is, like, Coach O kind of has to say that. I, I, I don't think you're wrong, but we are speculating a lot to think that he was – Does he have to say that? I mean, no, but, like, we're, we're also speculating that, like, this man was – frustrated that what another man was making which is like that's none of his business no 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 really no no, no not necessarily just what he was making i'm saying the lack of the, like the the inability to consistently have top yeah. 15 top 10 defenses no, where first year that before he even arrived you know he had a number five defense in the country in 2016 before kosho got there and when he was the interim head coach of course as well right. and then it 
those rankings dropped year yeah. over year. And I'm not saying that that's all like some Dave Aranda thing and Dave Aranda's overrated or anything like that. But if he's saying that they could be much better and that yeah. with this coordinator and this personnel group, after they just lost six defensive players in the first four rounds of the NFL draft, six defensive players <laughs> in the first four rounds, there are teams that don't have six players drafted in the first four rounds in an entire decade. Yeah, Mississippi State. I mean, that would be three first Vandy. Yeah. But no, so, but and here's the thing, though. And, and I, like LSU fans, I love you guys so much. I'm drinking out of an LSU cup right now. Happy birthday, Coach O. You are such a homer. Such a homer. Um, as, as, our, as our boy Nick Hallaby will always say, Marler hates LSU. But no, so what I will say is this. I learned my lesson in a very hard way. Um... Last year, after I got on this very podcast and went the F off on LSU's defense about how they were not a national championship defense, after what I saw against Ole Miss, they got 400 yards rushing to, to Ole Miss in that game. So what I'll say is I have a lot of concerns about how they replace all that talent. I have way more concerns how they replace the talent on offense than I do on defense because at defense last year, we saw they were able to win games when they weren't that great. And, and, I, and I'm not trying to say that – the team wasn't great, and the players weren't great, or whatever. So don't get defensive. But what I'm, what I am saying is, we saw last year that that like, dude, I remember bringing this up, and and we had several LSU fans reach out, and they're like, you're you're getting onto this team about losing, they give up 400 yards rushing to Ole Miss, and one, you're not using the same argument for that for LSU that you used for Bama about the injuries, okay, right. I, and I wasn't, which is very fair. People weren't talking about the injuries. People weren't talking about the injuries of LSU last year. <laughs> but but what I will say is, I mean. And, and granted, this was a historic deep or historic offense, the greatest offense in college football history, in my opinion. Um, but if they were able to give up those that many yards and be so susceptible at times, and not really even bat an eye at, at like the thought of defeat, I think that I would be less concerned about the offense than I would the defense. I I have concern. I'm sorry, less concerned about the defense than I do the offense. That's fair. I think that's perfectly fair. And I think, too, maybe worth remembering because of how LSU picked it up defensively down the stretch, that was part of the reason that some of those guys left early. And we had some surprises in terms of guys who were like, oh, wow, that that guy's leaving early? Okay, that's a little bit unexpected. I am here for, and if this is something that we get to debate because we're having a season, if this is the biggest thing that we're, we're worried about or angry about, then I'll take it. That'll be a very good thing. But when Derek Stingley's interception numbers inevitably go down because yeah. nobody's going to throw at oh, him. Oh, God, yeah. And there are people who are like, Derek Stingley's overrated, blah, blah, blah. I don't care if Derek Stingley has an interception the entire season. Show me his coverage numbers. I, I'll dude, look at the pro football focus stuff. Hear, yeah. If I have to hear I, one more Bama fan bring up Devonta Smith <laughs> about him. That. And it's like, listen, listen, bro, I, like, I totally get it. He put up a bunch of numbers that day. I I wasn't at the game, as many of you know, but I remember, like if you if you sat there and watched the game and you saw Derek Stanley staring at the sideline and then get blown by, Seriously. like 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 how, why are we including these numbers? Like I just don't understand where like just be more reasonable with that. that that kid is the best. He's the best defensive player in college football, hands yes. down, not close, not up for debate. I do wonder, like, and, and they'll have some, they'll have some studs coming in. The way they recruited, they'll have some yes, studs coming in, no doubt, into Baton Rouge, and that will step in right away. And we'll see some kids. Patrick Queen last year. Patrick Queen was a guy that came in at the end yeah. of last season that wasn't a guy that was going to be a first round pick. Sneaks in late in the first round with the way he played late in games. We saw Grant Delpit once he got healthy. I don't know how the hell he won that damn uh, Jim, Jim Thorpe, Thorpe Award. That will so yeah. like blow my mind forever. But regardless, like that team will have studs on the field and they'll be coached by in my opinion one of the best defensive 
minded coaches in the game, especially on the D line with Coach O. Um, and it doesn't help they have Bo, or doesn't hurt they have Bo Pelini there as well. Over under one and a half times in which Coach O and Bo Pelini either headbutt or have some sort of aggressive physical exchange on the sideline. It doesn't oh, have God. to be on purpose. It can be accidental yeah. as well. Oh, it's it's game one. Just game okay. one they will. Yeah, okay. I can't wait. I can't wait for that. Number five, I've got Auburn. This, <laughs> if I'm basing it strictly on talent, Auburn's probably more middle of the pack SEC. More middle of the pack. But I talked myself into Auburn higher than I yeah. originally thought for this very reason, and it's Kevin Steele is darn good at his job. He very, is. Very, very good. Definitely He has is. had four straight top 20 defenses at Auburn. Now, that is – there's a reason why the guy's making north of $2 million bucks. Again, yeah. as I said with Mike Elko, he is worth the money. This, however, is the first time that he is – Having to coach up a defense that doesn't have Derrick Brown and Marlon Davidson. I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Those guys, and I don't think that Auburn is going to take like some massive step back or anything like that. But I think there will at least be moments this year. Why not? In which, <laughs> well, here's the thing. Let me let me explain this first. I'll get to the I'll get to that point. I promise. Those guys do so much. Yeah. We saw it when we were there at the LSU game. When you have three guys down linemen who can rush the passer like that and you can consistently get in the face of an opposing quarterback, that matters. It keeps you in games that you probably shouldn't be in and it allows you to do things with your linebackers that you probably can't do if you're having to bring that pressure from the second level, stuff like that. Okay. I wonder how that element is going to impact Auburn's best defensive players coming back, which are K.J. Britt, Big Cat Bryant. All-time SEC name, by the way, mm-hmm. as well, for Big Cat Bryant. K.J. Britt, legit top linebacker, one of the top linebackers in the country, first-team All-SEC, along with Nick Bolton, Dylan Moses. That would be my three right there. Okay. They have recruited extremely well on defense. Owen Popoe is somebody that has been – considered one of the breakout type of guys for Kevin Steele's defense. Roger McCreary expected to be a new lockdown corner. They lost a lot of talent on that defense. They lost three defensive players in the first round with our buddy Noah I as well. Mm-hmm. 78th in the country in percentage of returning defensive production. All of those things make you think, what are you doing putting Auburn in the top five of SEC defenses? I don't get it. I'm going to use my same logic that I use for Mark Stoops that I'm going to use for Kevin Steele. I think Kevin Steele's just going to figure it out. I think he's going to figure it out because I think he has the talent to do it. I think he has the talent to do it. And I think that we have seen from him time and time again yeah. when coming into coming into last year where they replaced all their linebackers on that team. And he still finds a way to have a top 20 defense. doesn't matter how many good offenses there are in the division. He still has a top 20 defense right. despite the fact that his offense really isn't sustaining drives. And they had games like the Oregon game where it's just like, yeah, you guys are going to need to force a three and out on Justin Herbert for us to have a chance in right. this game. Go do that eight times in a row. Thanks, by the way. We'll let the offense take all the glory at the end for a touchdown yep. pass to Seth Williams. I think that it's going to be a different dynamic. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I just think that Kevin Steele puts guys in the right position. I know I've said that a lot this podcast. And when you crank out top 20 defenses on a yearly basis, despite that ter- personnel turnover, and you can develop that in, in that type of way, I, I just kind of pencil them in at this point. They've been I, that I, good. See, that is just ridiculous to me. And I, and I don't. I just don't get it. I just don't get it because if not like, top three nationally though, like right. that, the people that are saying that, I think that's I think that's too far. But I, I yeah. think them having another top twenty defense doesn't seem that far fetched. I don't think that does sound far fetched. But what I don't understand is 
this whole idea of, well, they're just going to figure it out. You, like, I get that in a normal year, but it's not like we, like Auburn has recruited well. I think they've had top 10 classes on average. Um, that linebacking core is, is the best in the SEC from the returning talent they have. I, I, I would, I would say that it's probably, or at least it's top three up there with, with Georgia and what I think Bama's going to have. Um, when you lose generational type talent, I know. I don't see this like I. I just don't see this all of a sudden being a like Auburn. Auburn against the run last year was number two overall in the SEC in yards per yards per carry. How do we sit here and look at this like okay they just lost not just from a physical standpoint with the the sheer size of Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown and what he was able to do you lost a top ten pick to the NFL draft on on the defensive line yep. you lost Nick Coe is gone and you lost Marlon Davidson. All those things, uh, it's Nico. just, it kind of befuddles me that, yeah, Nikoto's not great. But I'm saying, you still that's still another guy that was a, a, play, a player for them that played meaningful snaps a lot. You lose three out of four in the secondary. Why do we, this secondary, we saw them get torched to a backup quarterback. I, I, don't, I just don't get why we all of a sudden think that this team is going to be, and I, I think they're going to be good. Kevin Seal is a phenomenal defensive coach. Phenomenal. It blows my mind that we have gotten to this point, though, with Auburn, where it's like, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, where it's like, where all of a sudden, you know what? They'll just figure it out. And, and I think any other year, if they had lost just Derek Brown, if they had lost just Noah, um, you know I can't pronounce the name, from the secondary, and there was just those two first-round picks from last year's defense that were gone and not another two starters beside them in their units, then I would I would totally be like, yeah, yeah I could see them. I could see them being fine because they still return three out of four on both units. They lose three out of four in both units from play, a player standpoint. I just think it's too much to overcome. But I what do you think wrong. is realistic? What do you think is realistic for, for Auburn? Last. This year? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, what do I think is realistic for Auburn this year? Uh, I, I think top half of the defense. I think top half. Like like I don't think they'll make the top five. I, I don't think they'll be a top five defense okay. in the SEC. And I think making the top seven would be a feat. Okay. Wow. So that'd be. We'll, we'll say eight for you. I'm just, I'm just what, what the biggest thing is when you look at this Auburn team, and this is this is where I get confused as to why we're the staying power that I think that, that yeah. has somehow become created with them. And again, don't get me wrong, Kevin Steele is fantastic. That linebacking group is the best in the conference, or one of the best in the conference. Where I get confused is by saying that Auburn is going to have the staying power after losing generational talent. Derek Brown is the best defensive line that Auburn's had since Tracy Rocker in, in 1988, right? Tracy Rocker was a, a all-quarter century team in the SEC, up there with Glenn Dorsey and all the other, other people. He's, he's that kind of talent, and he's gone. What, what we're saying by saying that Auburn's just going to reload somehow with, with those guys is that also anyone behind them, like South Carolina, like maybe an A&M, Tennessee, they're somehow not going to make this step forward when they have similar guys returning, not similar to Derrick Brown, but they have a lot of guys returning, and they're going to be in better systems, I think, than, than they were in the years past. That's all. I went back and forth with Auburn a lot. I really did. I really did. did. I, <laughs> I, Auburn and A&M were, were really tough, just because I, I really do think that those are two of probably the top five defensive yeah. coordinators in all of college football. With Without Mike a doubt. And Without Kevin a doubt. Steel. And it's the way that they have consistently been able to, to stop the run yeah. and overcome any sort of personnel issues that they've had in the past because Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson are generational players. And this is the toughest thing the that Kevin Steele has faced. Line too. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think and by the way, I'm not saying that this defense is going to be trash. Like this is, like, There's no way Kevin Steele defense 
is going to be bad at all. Yeah. I just I don't I'm not as high on putting them in the top five. To eat. I just think it's way more. It makes way more sense to err on the side of them being in the in like the bottom half and not like way towards the back. Or just it, maybe a fair way to say it is. I feel like it's more fair to err on the side of them being middle of the road in the SEC this year and taking a step back from maybe where we were last year than I would say is, yep, they're going to be a top three defense automatically because of the defensive quarter. That's yeah, all. That's fair. I really want to see, hopefully, they get to play in that season opener against UNC. Yeah. Talk to our boy, talk to our boy Gary Stoken last week about the, the kickoff games and all that stuff as well. And if there is a conference in one model that we see this year, if Auburn's able to play that game and that secondary, which has been talked about a lot, I think, this mm-hmm. offseason and some of the, the pieces that they have coming back, but how does that secondary perform against Sam Howell? That's going to give us a really good yeah. indication as to how good this Auburn defense can be in a post-Marlon Davidson, Derek Brown world. I just Number four. We had D- Derek Brown coming back, that's all. Uh, just so much fun. forever, in perpetuity. Yes, you know what else I Brown want forever. is I want a fireside chat with, with Coach O, Marlon Davidson, and Derek Brown, because that's still one of the best post-game interviews I've ever seen. He's like, damn, boy! Damn, y'all good! <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Those guys were putting in work that day. Yeah, Being man, able to, was... like, standing standing where we did on the sideline, where we were, what, essentially 15 rows up, shout yeah. out to Mickey Sheremy. Where you could see those guys coming in and out, rotating and stuff, and like how hard those guys were working that yeah. day to be able to try and get pressure on Joe Burrow. That was a day that remember, my respect for those guys definitely went up. Remember when uh, when they they won the late hit on Derrick Brown because the way he hit Burrow and Burrow was like, oh, no, yeah. that wasn't a late hit. He just he just that's just how big he is or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number four, I've got Florida. Do people okay. realize that Florida had the number seven defense in the country last year? I didn't until looking it up this time. I think that a lot of people forget about that because they think of the shortcomings against Georgia. And Todd Grantham can't beat Georgia. I get it. That's still an issue. And actually, I really do believe that if they lose to Georgia again this year, considering what we've talked about with all of the offensive turnover on Georgia's side of the ball, and if Todd Grantham still can't come up with the right game plan to beat Georgia, if you're Dan Mullen, are you sitting there at season's end going, you know what, I might actually have to make a change even if Todd Grantham leads another top 20 defense, which he's done each of his first two years in Gainesville, you better that's hope, a fair question worth asking. You better hope Mullen doesn't have to recruit himself a, a defensive coordinator because that's going to be an uphill battle for that man. Mm. I know that Florida f- fans are frustrated with Grantham, but this should still be a really good defense, despite the fact that they have they have tough losses. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, I mean, John Grenard was one of the most valuable defensive players in all of college football mm-hmm. last year was so, so good as a grad transfer. Jabari Zuniga couldn't really stay healthy, but when he was on the field, very valuable. And then, oh, by the way, you've got a top 10 overall draft pick in C.J. Henderson. Your lockdown corner is gone. But here's the good thing. Kair Elam is already an elite SEC corner. And Derek Stingley's year overshadowed what he did as a true freshman. I know there are a lot of Florida fans who are like, Kair Elam's better than Derek Stingley already. I'm not not getting there. Not, not getting there, but he is a very, very good player and is going to be a lockdown corner in this league for the next two years. I have no doubt about that. Also returned Sean Davis and Marco Wilson in the secondary. Very, very experienced secondary. And I think that's important to remember with Florida having some of these a little bit, they're on the younger side in terms of edge rushers, at least compared to last year where they were kind of, it was Grenard and Zaniga where the two main guys went healthy. But Florida struggled last year, and especially against Georgia, when it didn't blitz and it sat in that soft zone. 
and everything was so pressure reliant. This group this year is built to withstand that a lot better. Yeah. You have these promising edge rushers. You have guys like uh, Muhammad Diabate, who's Cole Kubelik's top breakout candidate in the SEC this year on the defensive mm-hmm. side of the ball. Brenton Cox is eligible, the former Georgia transfer. That's been Kid. well documented in yeah. Florida. And Jeremiah Moon finally maybe living up to his potential. Maybe he does better with some more consistent snaps in Todd Grantham's defense. Maybe just giving those guys a little bit more time, getting some of these coverage-type sacks is something that Florida can do more of this year. But yeah. consecutive <laughs> top 20 defenses and a, a unit on the back end that I think is going to be really, really good. Yeah, I just think anytime you say giving Grantham's defense like more time, like it just... That guy, he, he's the epitome of just like if you're in if you're in rush hour traffic, that guy is is pulling the car into the emergency lane and just getting off the ramp exit right now. Like he just he's just not having it. Um, Isn't it so weird though that the Georgia game though, like if you look back on that game in 2019 with all the success that Fromm had on third down, that he wasn't blitzing and he didn't blitz until yeah. the very end when they needed that big that big third down conversion to be able to keep the drive alive and essentially True. ice the game. That he wasn't doing that. Florida fans were so upset that they were just playing this. This soft zone, they're like, Fromm's yeah. picking us apart, he's picking us apart. And then when they brought pressure, they didn't get home, and then he still picked them apart. Yeah, so. All right, let's take a quick break before we get to the top three. It's going to be very controversial, I promise you that. But we're going to take a quick break and come back and finish this out. If you're listening to this right now, chances are you want to be consuming actual football content. And maybe if you need a break from all of this coronavirus related stuff. You don't want to be talking about, oh, whether or not we're going to have a football season or which sports getting canceled, which players testing positive. I promise we have so much coverage for the 2020 season on SaturdayDownSouth.com. I cannot emphasize that enough. Our team continues to crush it. If you are looking for all that great preseason content, you want to sound smarter talking about your buddies, you want to talk about breakout candidates, you want to talk about expectations for this team, for that team, or you just want to get mad online, we have all that. SaturdayDownSouth.com for all those who just want college football content. And I promise, I promise you will not be disappointed. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com right now. Number three, I've got Kentucky. Yeah, that's right. I've got Kentucky, a team that people probably don't realize was number 14 in the country last year in scoring defense. That was despite the fact that entering last year, They were number 127 in the country in returning defensive production. It didn't matter. Mark Stoops is overrated, dude. He's just overrated. I don't think he's a great coach. Do you remember last year? I'll say it. Stoops' mantra kept saying, it's like, why are people so worried about the talent that we lost when people weren't talking about those guys coming into the previous season? We're going to figure it out. We have guys who are going to step up in this defense, and I promise we're going to still be one of the best units in the country. He was right. You know what? He was exactly yeah. right. And so I look at that, a year in which they, they finished number 14 in the country in scoring, and they return a lot of experience, a lot. There are only four defenses that ranked in the top 15 that also have a top 50 ranking in terms of percentage of defensive production returning. So Kentucky is one of those teams. In other words, Kentucky is – an elite defense that has so much talent coming back, and that's why they're number three mm-hmm. in the country. They're number 27 in the country in that department, loaded in the front seven, loaded. They lose our boy Cash Daniel, Calvin Taylor, gone as well. They need leadership in that group. That's the thing that's that's missing probably most from, from this group and, and what they're going I to have to that. figure out. 
But they return Boogie Watson, DeAndre Square, Josh Paschal, a guy who has overcome a lot to be able to be on the football field. Everybody knows about his story and the melanoma and, and what he meant to that defense last year. Also got Quentin Bohana on the defensive line, a defensive tackle. Like him. The secondary returns basically everyone. And, oh, by the way, they also added LSU transfer Kelvin Joseph, who had to sit last mm-hmm. year as a five result. Star. Yeah. Uh, was he five-star? I don't, I don't care. Okay. I, let's just That's on. fine. Somebody's going to say he wasn't a five-star because of one recruiting service, and then I'm going to lose my mind. And it'll be Here's fun. the thing. So they've got all that production coming back on every level of the defense. Yep. They had the number four scoring unit in the SEC last year. They were one spot behind Bama. Bama was number 13. Kentucky was number 14. They have all of that production, and there are people who think that they're going to be worse. Now, here's the blowback. <laughs> here's yeah. the blowback that I got. People told me for having Kentucky at number three that it's it's ridiculous because they were like a service academy last year and the defense is going to take a big step back because they're going to be built differently on the offensive side of the ball. Right. But here's the thing. The offense should still be really, really good in terms of running the ball because, as we know, they return one of the best offensive lines in the country, which has four starters back. They don't return Lynn Bowden. No, they don't. But they get their mobile no. starting quarterback back, Terry Wilson, and healthy, they get three running backs back from that backfield who, by the way, A.J. Rose, Kavassia Smoke, and Christopher Rodriguez, that sounds like a boy band I just read off. <laughs> they combined last year for nearly 2,000. BBN2K. Ooh, that'd be good. That'd be really good. Yeah. They combined for nearly 2,000 rushing yards and 18 touchdowns last year. So all these people that are saying, oh, the running game's going to fall apart, that's crap, man. Like that's they're still yeah. going to be able to play ball control football. I'm not saying that they're going to sit here and have a great passing offense or anything like that. But the things that people are pointing to as to why Kentucky's defense would take a step back, I don't understand how this group would not improve from what they did a year ago. Maybe they don't have the maybe the ball control standpoint. I could see if they, if they're on the field less or on the field more than they would have been last year since, it, you know, the Kentucky might have had, I don't know what their time of possession was, but it might have been higher last year, I guess. I, I don't know. What I would say is this. This this defense, I, like what Stoops said last year on this podcast will ring in my head as tr- true forever. Just, of again, like why are you so critical of who we're losing when you don't even know the name of the guys that we have coming in this year? You weren't high on those guys last year. Any of those things. Like people, people, what's what, People shit on Kentucky every single year, and I don't really get it because it's like, like they're not, they're not. I hate to say this, guys, but they're not like ever a super threat or like a, a, a deep hated rival to anyone besides Louisville. So I don't really understand the attitude that people have that's so negative about them because what they're able to do year in and year out is pretty impressive. I mean, it's really impressive, is what it is. I think returning, like you said, with the running game, they have one of the best running back combos in the SEC. With with Kavase Smoke and Aaron Rose, I, th- I think that'll be Christopher like, Rodriguez as well. They're very high. On it. Yeah, that sounds like the name of a serial killer. But yes, it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've watched a lot of Netflix documentaries. That's all I'll say. But like, I, I just think that that they they will be a defense that like it surprised me last year looking at it and be like, whoa, like they're ranked what? Like they had a top twenty scoring defense last year. Kentucky did, and and. You know, as much as we we love to applaud everything that, that that offense was able to do with how limited they were, and Lynn Bowden being the quarterback, that offense would have never been able to get them to a point of winning eight games, and this team would have never won eight games yep. if it wasn't for this defense. And when you have, like, I think the biggest thing you have, what you said, is the defense, or the, the talent they have coming back and the experience they have coming back at every single position. Mm-hmm. That's why I wouldn't necessarily have them as a top three defense, okay? 
Um, but I, I, I could easily see them being in the top five because of all of the things you listed. They last year lost, I think it was something like their top five defensive backs going yeah. into 2019. <laughs> they had the number two passing defense in the country. That's despite that. That is Mark Stoops. That is the reason that we are yeah. high on Mark Stoops and why there are certain coaches who, you know what, like Kevin Steele, I just say, you know, at this point, I trust them. I trust their floor is really yeah. high. And in a year like this, where Stoops is actually returning so many of those key guys from his defense a year ago, I tend to think that this this defense has so much potential. It's not mm-hmm. crazy for me to talk about this defense being better than that great 2018 group and not necessarily needing a Josh Allen All-America type performance because they have right. different kinds of depth at every single level. And can Kentucky Great. be one of those teams that you look up at the end of the season and you're like, oh, wait. They had another top 15 defense. I guess we were probably not giving them enough attention again. Like, when are we going to stop yeah. doing that? It's a, it's an endless cycle. Dude, it, I t- and I tell you what, the, the thought that went through my head when we when we t- brought this up was, I admittedly, I would, I would, if you were if you were looking at me and saying which which defense makes it in the top five by the end of the year, if it's Kentucky or Auburn, who if you had to put a bet on it, right? Like, who would you bet on? I was saying to myself, like, and I had this whole this whole thing going on in my head, which I don't know why. It's a lot of things, <laughs> but <laughs> but like I would probably take Auburn over Kentucky, and it's it's for whatever. It's it's the same reason we have these just like innate, not innate, these like preconceived notions already built up in our head year in and year out about each team, and we think we know each team because we know the program history. Like this is a team that has been they beat South Carolina five years in a row. And every year they were an underdog to South Carolina. And every year, even last year on this podcast, I was like, I think South Carolina's going to be Kentucky. And they did. They finally did. But it took five years to do it. And, and uh, yeah, when are we going to stop sleeping on Kentucky? They have great horses. They have great <laughs> bourbon. Cash Daniel is fantastic. He's a great interview. I just don't get it, guys. Do you know the last time? Here's a good question for Stump Marler. When was the last time Kentucky started off as a top 25 team in the AP poll? Started off as a top 25 yes. team? 1998? Oh, Go back another 20 years. Shut up. So 78 after they had the 10-win season? 78, I believe, is the last time that Kentucky started off in the top 25. Wow. Phil Steele put him in his top 25 to start the year. After a year ago, I'm pretty sure Phil Steele had Kentucky projected for five wins and was like the epitome of the Kentucky is falling off the face of the earth. Let's not get carried away with what they did in 2018. Yeah. And even Phil Steele is walking that one back and being like, yeah, I'm giving Kentucky love now, and it deserves to be in that conversation. Definitely a borderline top 25 team, in my opinion, and a defense yeah. that I think will absolutely be one of the SEC's best again. Yeah. Number two, you might have some thoughts on this. Just maybe. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. <laughs> I got Bama at two. There are a lot of people who think that, you know what, Pete Golding is the worst. That guy should have been <laughs> fired. They hate him. You should have heard some of the some of the talk in the press box. Oh my god! During the Citrus Bowl, when all these Alabama beat writers were reading some of the comments that people were saying about Pete Golding in response to all their tweets and stuff, and this is the first half of the game against Michigan, in which Michigan yeah. didn't even hit twenty points. Like that's that's the type of critical we are when it comes to the Bama defensive coordinator position. Thanks a yeah. lot, Kirby Smart. Thanks a lot, Jeremy Pruitt. Um, I understand why Bama fans are at least frustrated with Pete Golding. I totally get it. And it doesn't look good when you have players, former players that come out and say, we had communication issues. 
That needs to get taken. Terrell Lewis. Yeah, Terrell Lewis said that. Terrell Lewis had communication issues. He said that was a team-wide thing. And, I, and you know what? I, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying he's wrong. I, I, I absolutely yeah. think that was probably the case. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to sit here and pretend like Dylan Moses' injury had nothing to do with that, that's a bit that's a bit ridiculous. Let's be honest. And Josh McMillan. And LeBron Ray. And the entire defensive line. LeBron Ray, who's a former five-star, was, was projected by some last year to be a, a first-round yes. pick and have a breakout season. Like, as a guy who hadn't started before, and and then you you lose him. You have DJ Dale, this freshman who who comes in spring and is not that highly rated as a recruit. steals steals the show, becomes a first team starter for the start of the season. He's out by the end of the year. Uh, dude, like Christian Barmore, who's like a former three star, I think that like no. I mean, this defense. Who are they even playing at the end of the year? Who like who was on that defense at the end of the year? This was a defense that. In the previous 12 years of the Saban era, they hadn't started. Thank you for sipping that Chick-fil-A right in the middle of this podcast. Appreciate you switching to a straw, something that would make noise as opposed to, no, you were sipping out of the cup before. That doesn't make noise. I got two drinks, Connor. I got two drinks. Meanwhile, we had to stop this podcast for you to take a potty break. (laughs) Anyway. I just tweeted. I I gave you a shout out on Twitter about that. Bama was playing with three, I think, no, it was four True freshman starters in the front seven. In the previous 12 years of the Saban era, they hadn't started more than one true freshman in the front seven. So I'm not saying that it's it's all just because... Hold on, hold on. Say that again. Bama, in September, after the South Carolina game, so the LeBron Ray injury was the result of this. Yeah. Bama was starting four true freshmen in the front seven. In the previous 12 years of the Saban era, Nick Saban had never started more than one true freshman in the front seven. In the SEC... And they were always a middle linebacker, <laughs> right. like Donta Hightower, C.J. Mosley, like a guy that was a form, like a, a, a huge Dylan recruit Moses? that ended up being a first-round draft pick, Dylan Moses. These guys that were uber recruits. Like, like thing, I mean, think about that. Four of the, of the front seven were true freshmen. And I'll tell you what. Somebody brought this up on Twitter a while ago when I said that I didn't think Auburn's defense was going to be that good. But, and he was like, how's that linebacking core for Alabama going? That linebacking core last oh, year was trash. Yeah. It was awful. I, I never said it was going to be good. Okay. So you think about all those things, and you had guys mm-hmm. like Shane Lee and Christian Harris, freshmen, that were, <laughs> that were starting for that, for that team, and how, how brutal those injuries were for that team. All those things. And Pete Golding needs to be fired. All these. Alabama had the number three defense in the SEC the number 13 defense nationally. And that group, which had its moments, had its moments of looking bad. Ole Miss game was rough. We talked. We were there in Charlotte for, yeah. for that game, talking with the SEC Network guys, and Chizik said it was very on Alabama. Like, kept saying that over and over, how noticeable he's that the was. One that, he, he's the one that, like, ruined the – not ruined the season, but he's – I totally forgot to retweet his thing. Oh, that's okay. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Okay. We'll, we'll okay. talk about that Anyway, later. but so, yeah, sorry. Um, but no, I remember Coach Chizik sitting there saying he's like, they have so much attrition already on this defense, yeah. and they have so many of these young guys. When he goes, that's gonna that's gonna really hurt them as the season goes on. And if you lose more of these guys, and you get to the end of the season where you're playing LSU, you're playing Auburn, these these fast paced offenses, and you don't have place to, like people to replace them. And I was sitting here and I was like, because I was still in that mode where I was like, we're gonna be fine, everything's fine. <laughs> Just like the meme of that like dog sitting yep. in the house fire, like that was me. I was like, everything is fine, we're great. Well, wrong. we saw the Duke game, too, and yeah, Duke is not the SEC competition, yeah. but we saw these freshmen look really good in that game, and you're like, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe Bama just finds a way, but finding yeah. a way for Bama and the standard that they have to play up to week in, week out is different. So this year, 
They bring back, obviously, Dylan Moses, which was as big of an announcement as any team could have asked for this year. Yeah. They also, by the way, bring back Josh McMillan, who's going into year six at Alabama. He's been there forever. He and Ben Davis have just been at Bama for a decade. You know, a lot of people go to college for six years. It happens. Um, yeah, they're called podcasts. Yeah. LeBron Ray, also back for that group. And to be honest, I think they're they're freshmen who got those those key snaps, Shane Lee, Christian Harris. Those guys will be better for it. And in the long term, it'll actually benefit them. Obviously, it, it hurt them at points last year. There's no doubt. Yeah. You're losing guys like Xavier McKinney, Trayvon Diggs, Terrell Lewis, uh, Anthony Jennings. Important guys. Don't get me wrong. But I look at what they have coming back. And Christian Barmore, who is someone that is He's be so very highly regarded, has a little bit of Quinn and Williams in him as a pass rusher. Yeah, Maybe not as, slippery, not as an all-around player, but as a pass rusher from the defensive tackle position, yeah, yeah, he is that good. Yeah. There is a lot to like for this Alabama defense to make me want to say this can be a top five group nationally once again. And there will be moments, maybe it's a month of the season, where we're like, holy crap. This feels all of a sudden like we're, we're talking about maybe not a 2011 type unit, but maybe like a 2017, 2016 like Alabama team. Ah, 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 ah. Stop you right there. Don't you ever? <laughs> There's no way this unit will be better than the 26 or be as. No, I'm saying I don't I'm think for stretch. I'm saying for there will be stretches. 2016, yeah, it was that was a 2016 was like close to being as good as 2011. Like that was an all-time unit. They, I mean, with all like the, I think they had 13 non-offensive touchdowns or something stupid. Like that's just crazy. Um, what I will say is, I do think this is a return to form for this year's defense. I'm not that high on hating. On, on hating on Pete Golding. I, I don't really get it. I don't understand. I know that we've had some people, a guy we work with, love him to death, Michael Wayne Bratton, who's been like, that defense hasn't been the same since Jeremy Pruitt left. Well, that defense had six freshmen starting, or six six starters out by the end of last season. Okay? Like, like that. Like if, if, you, if you turn on tape and watch those two middle linebackers, and, I, and I'll be honest, I got so frustrated with it, I don't, I don't remember which one was good and which one was bad. One of them was good. One of them was, have you ever seen a video of someone um, blindfolded and then walking with their arms out. Like, if you fast forwarded that video of them running, that was what I think it was Shane Lee looked like the entire season. Or it might have been Christian Harris. I don't know. Whichever one it was, it wasn't great Shane to watch. It was like second on the team in tackles. Then it wasn't him. So it's the guy who was always trailing someone, but at least four yards in coverage, like every time. It, like, it, ugh, anyway. So I think that that defense will be a lot better. The secondary. There should be there's like some question marks. You do have Patrick Sertain, who should be good enough to be locking down. Like like people haven't projected the top fifteen in the NFL draft next year. I, I think there's yeah. I'm not really that high on that. I think I think they have a lot more depth than they did last year. And I think that you'll have like they were caught in a, in a situation last year where you have you have one main guy like it's like the stalwart of that defense, which was like Raquan Davis, who never really reached his potential. I think this year yeah right. I think this year. You don't have. It's not going to be as dependent upon if one guy goes down, we're screwed. If Dylan Moses goes down again, yeah, we're screwed. But I don't think it's going to be like that because I honestly think that losing, lose, it wasn't just losing a guy like like him. Like I mean, like it's they're like Dylan Moses. It's it's the addition of losing him and Josh McMillan. You're two Mike Labrick. You didn't have an alpha on that defense. Yeah. That defense has always – there's been years that defense hasn't been that great. They've given up a lot of yards in games and, and been uncharacteristic and all that kind of stuff, even when Kirby was there, even when Pruitt was there. But what I will say is that defense – I mean, let's not forget, Ole Miss was up 24-3 to in that, that 2016 game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But, like, there's also been times where, like, I think 
they've always had an alpha. They've just always had an alpha in the middle of that defense, and they didn't have that last year, and I think it hurt them dearly, and I don't think that'll be as big of an issue this year. I don't think they're going to be the best defense in the SEC. I don't, I don't even know if they're going to be top three, but I think they're going to be a lot better than where it was you know, from last year, and I think the images of watching LSU go up and down the field over and over and over again is what that, that image and the scoreboard at the end of the Auburn game is what people have in mind when they yeah. think of this Alabama defense under Pete Golding. Not like the ins and outs of what happened. Like, I forgot Bama had five sacks against LSU. I, I think that they're going to be a lot better this year than they were last year. And a lot, like, the whole idea of, well, like the, 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 the dynasty's over and the defense is obviously not the same anymore, I think that narrative is going to go away. We need, and I said, I think they could be like 2016 or 2017 in stretches because I think we also need to be reminded, look, this is a division that just added Mike Leach and Link Kiffin. All right, mm-hmm. they had two of the best def- offensive minds in the sport, and with True. LSU actually figuring out how to throw the football, I, I think that we just need to adjust slightly, at least, our expectations for what Alabama's defense should look like, even when it's good. What does a good yeah. Alabama defense look like in this? I'll era? tell you what a good, what a good, what a good Alabama defense looks like in this era, and I'm gonna get pissed here just having to talk about it. Is getting off the field on third and long. If you can't get off the field in third and long. Like, you're not going to win games. Just bottom line. Just just absolute bottom line. And if this defense can't get off the field on third and long, that, that'll be the biggest telltale sign for me if they're able to get back to their old ways. I, I don't care if you give up 20 points per game. In this day and age, that seems reasonable because of how offenses are built. They gave up 18.6 last year per game. And that seems like, like it's, it seemed like to me, if you would have told me it was 25 or 30, I would have been like, yep, uh-huh, I could believe it because of the way the things went it's at times during last season. I, I think that if they can just get off the field on third downs, not make critical errors like that, then they'll be fine. Unless Clyde Edwards-Alaire has two guys in front of him, and he worst. just needs to run through both of them and maybe like tiptoe on the sideline or something like that. Man, hearing the just the absolute <laughs> eruption of of crowd the crowd in Sanford Stadium when that happened nice. was just I'll never forget it. It just living rent free. Let's get to the best defense in the SEC. What and a I'm, transition! I'm going to make a hot what take. What a transition that, that was will, from you. I know, right? I love it. Um, now, quick, walk over it with something that has nothing to do with the podcast and say something stupid. Oh, I just gambled on Korean baseball. Hey, what do you anyway, think of Yabi Anoma? <laughs> hey, yeah, by the way, I do want to say that too. No, like, I was kidding. About, no, real quick, I do want to talk about it. Because people people did, were really high on that, like being a thing last year where we're losing, he's losing all these five-star recruits. Both of those guys that transferred, Alfano and Anoma, transferred to somewhere else, and they were either kicked out yeah. or, or had to leave that school too. So anyway, transitioning to the best defense in the SEC, and I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a very I don't think it's that bold of a statement, but I'm gonna say it. This Georgia defense, which is the number one defense in the SEC, it will be at the end of the season. I, I have I would put almost any amount of my fiance's money on that bet. At the end of the season, I think this defense is going to be the best defense in college football since the twenty. It'll be the second best defense in the last decade in college football. Since the 2011 Bama team. I agree with one of the things you said. I don't agree with the second thing that you said. Okay. Well, you're wrong. (laughs) Here's why I push back on that. I'll get to the bad before I get to the good because there's way more good than Georgia. Yeah. Than bad. That's that's for darn sure. The reason that I think they won't have a historically good defense, this offense, Todd Munkin's offense, his version of the air raid, which is not Mike Leach's version of the air raid, and it's been mm-hmm. described as more of a pro-style spread. Regardless, Todd Munkin still believes in the premise of throw to win. That's the big yeah. thing. 
This Georgia offense is going to go through a bit of an identity change. It's not all of a sudden going to be like, hey, they're, you know, Jamie Newman or JT Daniels, whoever the starter is, is throwing 55 passes a game, and Zamir White is essentially a backup, and the only time he's used is as a pass, as a pass catcher out of the backfield. That's not what's going to happen here. Yeah. But we never, never see good defenses paired with an air raid offense. And it's at least worth wondering about because I realize that this defense is better than any that's ever been paired with an air raid offense. Yeah. Ever. But there's a reason why, whether it's been Kevin Sumlin, Mike Leach, Dana Holgerson, uh, even Neil Brown at Troy, that was the last defense that technic- or technically was paired with an air raid offense that was actually top 15 in the country. And that actually... You're trying to tell me right so now, t- you don't think the 2011 <laughs> Bama team was an air raid offense with A.J. McCarron? You're out of your damn mind, Connor. And that game, actually, um, that LSU fans remember all too well because it was Troy going into Baton Rouge and winning in Death Valley at night. They didn't even run the air raid offense that night. They ran a totally different offense. And they admitted that. They admitted that. So my point no. is not to say that I don't think Georgia's defense will be good. It's going to be darn good. They have yep. dudes on dudes on dudes. That front seven is so unbelievably loaded. Aziz Aljulari, Malik Herring, by the way, Nolan Smith, if he can develop into a true three-down guy, Jermaine Johnson. Which he was the number one overall player. The, yeah. Dude, last year they signed the number one player in, in the country from JUCO and high school. Yeah, if, I I have a Jermaine feeling Johnson, that Nolan yeah. Smith is gonna at least pan pan out as like a decent as a decent uh, college player. And I tell you what, the one that that I bring up every single time, and I, I I don't understand how this kid this kid is, in my opinion, the maybe the best defensive lineman in the SEC. And I'm getting ahead of my skis here, but, I, but Jordan Davis is a absolute yeah. monster in the middle. They they have so much talent up front, and I actually think I did the SEC defensive MVPs. Spoiler alert: that's out on SDS. And I think Richard LeCount is probably going to be their defensive MVP. He, he or either Monty Rice. Like you're away. You're away. Uh, I know. You're, you've been very high on Richard LeCount. I definitely give you credit on that. All of these things and all the talent that they have, five-star talent galore, eight five-star defensive yeah. players in the last three recruiting classes. Brenton Cox didn't stay there, but that's a different discussion for a different time. Yeah. But with that offense, I think it's at least going to be a little bit different where they're not going to emphasize ball control as much. They're going to have instances where, especially early in the year, I think there are going to be some tough times. There's going to be a little bit of a learning curve with that offense. I don't yeah. know what exactly the schedule looks like. I'm not going to sit here and, and plan it out and say, oh, the, the offense yeah. is going to struggle against this team, this team, this team. But I think that there are going to be moments where you're reminded, oh, this is not the same Georgia offense that we're used to seeing. And th- that's not to say that it's going to – all like they're not going to meet expectations. If I'm if I'm betting on number one defense in all of college football, it's yeah. Georgia. Don't get me wrong. That, Without a doubt. But being able to hold a team to nine points a game or something like that, or ten points a game, and to be historically good when you've got this new offense that's working through the yeah. kinks, it's something that needs to be in the minds of every single Georgia fan who thinks that the sky is a limit for this defense. Uh, yeah, I just um, I don't know if the sky's the limit because the limit like. Like I mean, like what is the ceiling after watching last year's team? Because last year's team was already dominant. It was already dominant. I mean, it, like yep. you gave up two rushing touchdowns, neither to a running back. They were both to quarterbacks. One of them came in week nine of the season against Auburn, and the other one came in the bowl game. I, I like this defense did, and the reason I compared them to that 2011 Bama defense is not because I'm trying to be a homer for Bama. It's because 
That defense is the most dominant, statistically, the most dominant defense in college football history. That is not up for debate. I'm sure there's some from like Princeton, maybe in like, I don't know, the 40s or whatever. But like in, in modern football, to be able to be number one in pass defense, rush defense, total defense, and scoring defense is, is basically unheard of. And they were able to do that. This defense... And that all that defense also did stuff that was just like stupid. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, I mean, like they, they were just there were weird stats that you've never heard before. I think I feel like they came out that where it was like you know like the LSU game. Yeah, they never crossed the fifty yard line until what you know until this much time was left. So I think that it, like you'll see stuff like that where this defense will, will. I think this defense will have that happen. Like we're, we're like they will they'll be so suffocatingly good and difficult to move the ball on. That they will be the best defense in this in the country again, and I think those numbers might even go go down because what we're not we're like what we're what we're not being able to see from last year seems they only like on the the opposite side of like the offense right the offense got gutted they lost nine starters the defense returns nine starters yep. or eight whatever you want to say and and they have so much talent that redshirted last year and has another year in that system under Kirby. And, like, you look at this secondary, and it's like, though they lose J.R. Reed, who was a very talented all-SEC safety. Underrated national. I, I don't yeah. know. Underrated national. I don't know how he didn't get drafted or whatever. But, like, he was a guy that was was very good for this defense. He's gone. And, and oh, by the way, I know they didn't play the same position, but the guy you're bringing – you're one of the guys you're bringing in to, like, fill a void, at least, in that secondary, is a five-star number one cornerback in the country, Kelly Ringo. Like it's just there's just so much talent. There are guys on this defense that that people don't know about yet yeah. that I think could be top ten, top five picks in in the NFL draft that, that people don't even know their names and 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 that's how good I think and how deep this defense. is. And the is. irony is that of course last year they were the no name defense, right? Because they were, yeah. they were the team that didn't have the all SEC guys, and because they right. didn't necessarily have. The, the gaudy stats. They didn't have somebody who had double-digit sacks or anything like that. It was a different mm-hmm. feel than what we saw in 2017 when they emerged. I think another thing, though, that I want to see, you talk about the ceiling of what what do, what do more do they need to show you. Right. I'm not saying that they should have slowed down LSU or anything like that. Yeah, it's also true. But they tried, and they couldn't pull off the Kevin Steele 317. Clemson tried doing the same thing <laughs> yeah. to, to LSU. I'm not saying that they should have that they should yeah. have stopped them. It was the the offense that put up more points in college football history than anyone. All right, like I get that. Right. But to be able to diagnose that and to have a defense like that where you can get pressure with three down linemen is a different discussion. And they couldn't do that. And their shortcoming was that they couldn't necessarily get to the quarterback and to be able to run a defense like that where it's predicated so much on getting pressure with those three guys so that you can have seven yeah. defensive backs defending a rushed quarterback. So to be able to make an adjustment like that, that's what we need. That's another step that Georgia can potentially take this year. And with the talent that we've talked yeah. about up front, maybe that's something that we see from them. But, you know, there's also how many times did like Bama fans say when Tua throws, 80, it's an 80-yard slant on the first play of a drive to, right. to Devontae Smith or to Henry Ruggs or something like that. And then the defense has to go right on the field. So even when yeah. Georgia gets rolling offensively, which I think there will be a time and a place when oh, yeah. they do that, and they have these quicker drives than they're used to having, how does that impact the defense as well? I just yeah. think that there are there are things that, that Georgia can still do, which is a crazy thing to say about the number yeah. one defense in the country from a year ago. But I'm excited to see what they can do, and I'm excited to see who develops into these all-conference, the all-American guy. guys, because it seems like they have no shortage of that. No, it's, it, it is it is one of those things where, 
And I remember, I remember when this first started happening, and you have Kirby Smart coaching him up, and and like that's that says a lot. But like when this first started happening, like you know, in those two thousand eight, nine, ten years, eleven years, like you know, for under Saban when Kirby was there, you had these like the number one safety in the country playing next to the number one cornerback in the country, and oh by the way, like there's the number one defensive end playing next to the number two defensive yeah. tackle playing in front of the number one inside linebacker, and it's just like and that's where they are. And but th- it's gone a step further where it's not just the number one guy at each position. Like, N'Kobe Dean is going to be an absolute stud. N'Kobe Dean is going to be... Guy, yeah. He is one of my favorite players. I remember I remember hearing a story about N'Kobe Dean when he was a senior in high school, and I think it was Mike Farrell telling the story. It was on Atlanta radio, and they were saying, like, they're talking to Georgia. Like, what is what is Georgia getting in this guy? I'm pretty sure he was a 4.0 student, I think. Um, or it might have been one of those situations where he was like a, it was like a stupid GPA that doesn't make any sense to me, which, like... It's like the metric system for some reason. It's like, oh, he's got a 4.6 GPA. Just, like, just taking honors classes programs, and sure. AP classes, yeah. yeah. So, but like, the, there was a story about him where a, a guy from a recruiting website went to go visit him um, and do a story about him or whatever. And he gets done with practice, he comes to the field, he's like, hey, you have to give me a second, like, you know, like, give me a minute. And then for the next 30 minutes or an hour, he made him wait and went and coached up voluntarily the eighth grade team that came over and was like looking at like, or they were, they were just getting into the system, all this other stuff. I think Nicobe Dean's going to be a stud for that defense, and I think when you have guys that aren't just like, oh yeah, he was he was a five star. It's like you have the number one guy at this position, mm-hmm. or the number one guy from this state, or the number one guy from JUCO. That's where it's really going to make a difference. And the weird thing is, is we're probably going to be talking about some of these guys by the end of the season, being like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I thought we'd be expecting more of them, or I thought this guy would do more, or something like that. And we're right. probably still going to be looking up and being like, oh yeah, this guy's a midseason All-American, and Georgia's still mm-hmm. got the number one defense in the country, and 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 that's just how loaded Georgia is, and that's the type of system that Kirby Smart wanted to create, yeah. And he's done that, and he deserves a lot of credit for being able to do that. Mm-hmm. All righty, hopefully that didn't get everybody too mad. No, um, that's good. I didn't get you too mad, which is good. That's a win. <laughs> what was I? I just I like Auburn's going to be really good on defense. I just don't think they're going to be. Like as the, whatever, I just I mean, and this is I mean, you know what? Maybe it is. Maybe part of it is because it's Auburn. I don't know. Maybe maybe <laughs> that's is. why I'm overreacting. <laughs> I just don't think it is. I just I just don't think that like from an objective standpoint, while we're looking at something and be like, hey, they were great last year. They might only be good this year. Plan for this week is to record in another another. It just meant more with one of our buddies. Hopefully, going to be joining us. I think. Oh yeah. So, well, you got to still set that up yet, but that's the goal for. This weekend, apologies for not being able to have an adjustment more. This past week, things got really busy. Having to record an additional podcast, uh, the same podcast was not ideal. But, yeah. Uh, we will also plan on having a casual Friday podcast. We're going to do a little stump marler as well. Ooh. Still figuring out what we're going to do with that. But that is pending, of course, this big kind of looming cloud that's hanging over these Power 5 conferences who have yet to announce what they're doing in terms of scheduling this year. So if needed, we will transition to that. Yeah. All right. We did. All right. We talked about Matt Luke today, didn't we? I got to pee again. Let's go. You're unbelievable. <laughs> I know. What do we need to remember? I, just, I shouldn't have gotten the... I, I, tell you, I tell you what, guys. This is Matt Luke. Don't want Matt Luke. Offensive line coach. Double fisting. Come on, Matt Luke. Offensive, double fisting twit T. I should not have gotten the extra large unsweet iced tea. And yes, I got an unsweet iced tea because I'm fancy. Uh, we love you guys. And it, it just means too much. It just pees too much. There it is. Talk soon. There you go.